Good evening, everyone, and welcome to NIU's College of Business Wednesday Night Wisdom online speaker series brought to you by our Passport program. My name is Russ Devereaux, and I have the honor of serving as your host this evening. Please do note that this event is being recorded for future use. Now, before I introduce our wonderful guest moderator, I'd like to go through a few things to make sure we all have a great experience. So, first of all, if you have not already, please mute your microphone and turn off your video. Also, throughout the presentation, don't hesitate to send your questions in using the chat feature. We will address as many as we can during tonight's conversation. Finally, for all of our students, we will be awarding passport credit via a QR code and collecting attendance for the MBA colloquium credit at the end of the webcast. So if you're all here for that, just hang tight after our conversation is done. We'll be sharing that information so you can all scan that there. Um, so on to the reason why we're all here. It is my wonderful pleasure to introduce our guest moderator for tonight's discussion, the College of Business very own Dr. Christine Mooney. Dr. Mooney is the Barsima Professor of Social Entrepreneurship here at NIU. She was founding director of the Center for Social Entrepreneurship, renamed the Center for Entrepreneurship and Social Impact. She served as its director from October of 2013 to May of 2019. Dr. Mooney's past research has focused on CEO secession, innovation, and entrepreneurship. Her current research interests are positioned at the intersection of empathy, identity, and social entrepreneurship. Her research has appeared in several, several scholarly journals, including Journal of Management, Journal of Organizational Behavior, Academy of Management and Learning, Management and Organization Review, and Journal of Service Management. She has taught courses in strategic management, creativity and innovation, business modeling and planning, social entrepreneurship, social venture consulting, and microfinance. She has consulted for both for-profit and non-for-profit organizations, is currently serving on the Board of Juvenile Protection Association, and is a member of Social Venture Partners Chicago. Dr. Mooney earned her PhD and MBA from Indiana University and her BA from Emory University. She lives in Geneva with her husband and two children. It is a true honor to introduce Dr. Mooney to you all. Welcome. Thank you so much for doing this. Wow. Thank you for that introduction. I love your energy. I appreciate that. Um, so thank you, Russ. And also welcome students, alumni, and friends. It's my great pleasure to welcome Jocelyn Moore. That's who we're here to see tonight um, to discuss tonight's topic, uh, empathy, excuse me, empowering equity. So first I'd like to introduce Jocelyn Moore. She's a globally astute human resource executive. She is the general manager of global diversity and inclusion at Microsoft. In this capacity, Jocelyn is responsible for leading global diversity and inclusion for the Microsoft Customer and Partner Solutions Group and for all geographies. She brings 20 years of progressive human resource experience from global companies like Aon Hewitt, Medline Industries, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, and DXC Technology. Jocelyn has held many transformative human resources roles. She started her career as HR coordinator, worked her way through the ranks to a more progressive complex human resources positions. Prior to joining Microsoft, she was with a North American-based company responsible for transforming the entire HR department. 
Jocelyn has also spent time as the VP of Global Talent Acquisition for DXC Technology, responsible for recruiting 30,000 new employees each year across the company's global footprint. In this capacity, Jocelyn was directly responsible for leading all global talent acquisition strategies, including relationship management, workforce, workforce planning, talent channels, and overall governance. She recognizes she was helped along her career journey and wants to pay it forward. Over the years, Jocelyn has done resume and interviewing workshops, served on many nonprofit boards, all focused on helping students with diverse backgrounds, and has had several mentees. She holds a Bachelor of Science in HR Management and an MBA from Northern Illinois University, was the 2018 Distinguished Alumni for the Management Department, and the 2021 Distinguished Alumni for the NIU College of Business. So please welcome Jocelyn. So I'm going to clap. So <laughs> thank you for that introduction. And thank you for having me, everyone. So uh, yeah, thanks so much for being here. And I wanna, I wanna start off our conversation today with a little bit of background. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey to where you've gotten today? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Christine. I, I'm gonna start with how I got to Microsoft because I will go back to various places in my life, I think through the conversation. I, when Microsoft reached out to me about this role, my first reaction was no. The recruiter called and she was like, hey, we've got this diversity job. And I was like, absolutely not. And the reason I had that reaction is because I, I said, you know what, I'm an HR professional. I get a lot of joy out of connecting leaders with their people strategy and helping them achieve their goals. And I just don't want to do this narrow thing called diversity. And I don't want to, I was I had a concern with being tokenized. I didn't want to be their, their black woman in diversity. And so um, they were like, no, 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 you should talk to our chief diversity officer. You know, she's, you know, super smart, got her from IBM, all these good things. And I remember having the conversation with um, who's now my boss. And what she said to me was the was the reason I took the role at Microsoft, which was, Jocelyn, I need a HR professional that can help us connect diversity and inclusion to the work we do every day in HR. And I was like, oh, I can do that, right? And so for me, it was an opportunity to leverage all of the HR experiences I've had over the years, but connect them into diversity and inclusion to ensure that that work was embedded into every day. And so unlike a lot of folks these days that are I think diversity and inclusion is the hot topic and what everyone wants to be in right now. I didn't run to the role. Mm. I didn't run to the role because I was um, frankly concerned that it was gonna sort of pigeonhole me into that space only. And I felt like, well, I can do all these other things too, so yeah. Nice, thank you. Mm. So tell me a little bit about your approach to equity. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I, whenever I think about equity, I always have to focus on the definition because so many people confuse, conflate equity with equality, right? And when you think about, you know, equality, it's everyone gets the same thing. That's equality, right? When you start to think about equity, you have to actually understand what the person needs, right? When you start to think about equity, you have to 
you have to almost recognize that we all have different circumstances. We all come from different places and we all need something different to potentially get to the same place. And that's where it gets hard for folks because you could line up a group of people that look exactly like you, Christine. We could line them up in a row. And all those individuals may need something different to ultimately get to the same place. I actually think equity is harder because it, it requires you to really understand what's needed for an individual. Interesting. So tell me a little <laughs> bit about how you apply that yeah. in um, the global setting, in your job and in this global setting. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we try to do is, I mean, granted, Microsoft is a ginormous company. So to some extent, uh, some of the programs we do are simply to get development out there, right? Or get access out there for individuals. There are different equity plays that we sort of deliberately put in place, right? Which are, um, which sort of, I think you can look at them from targeted development programs, right? So you start to say, okay, you, you almost wanna look at a group of, you wanna look at a group of people and say, what help do individuals need in order to continue to get promoted, continue to progress? Maybe one group needs some extra help. So we're gonna do a targeted program for this group of people and that's equity, right? It starts to meet people where they are and help them, you know, to move forward where another group of people may not need it. What's interesting is the, um, I think it's the dynamics of equity when misunderstood because people will say, well, why are you doing this targeted program for women? I'm a man, I need development too, right? Which is, which is likely true, but when you look at it, systemically, you start to look at promotion rates, you maybe look at how long folks have been enrolled and you say, well, this group or that group needs some help because they're not progressing as fast, right? And so um, we always, we try to make decisions rooted in numbers. And I've done that across my career, right? Trying to look at, you know, where does the data tell me there's a problem and how can I address that opposed to the anecdotal things that people may say? Yeah. So it's interesting because I kind of, I, I hear what you're saying about that, that um, response. I think about that as being resistance. Do you consider that resistance? Um, and if so, or if not, um, how would, how do you respond to that when someone comes to you and says, Hey, what about me? You know, I, I never view it. Well, sometimes it is resistance. Let me just be super yeah. clear. Sometimes <laughs> it is, right. Um, but I don't approach it that way, Christine. I always think about maybe they don't know what, what we're trying to do and why we're doing it. I always start from a place of, um, of trying to understand where the person is coming from, right? I always try to understand what lived experience, worldview, they're looking at the situation through, right? Um, because sometimes it shows up as resistance, but sometimes it shows up as they actually one, they maybe don't understand the definition of what we're trying to do. And two, maybe they just, maybe they just don't understand. As simple as I can make that, right? Um, I can think of a situation with an individual um, that was very upset that we were doing um, targeted development for um, African-American, Black, and Hispanic, Latinx employees in the United States. 
and called him up. I'm like, hey, what's going on? Right. I'm not going to go in guns blazing. It's just, hey, what's going on? And he was from the standpoint of you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I worked hard. I came from XYZ place and I did okay for myself. And so for me, I talked to him about this is what privilege looks like. This is what equity looks like. This is what the data tells us. And here's why we're doing it. He didn't, he didn't agree with any of it, right? But for me, it was a point of education because now I understood where he was coming from, right? And I know that not everyone is going to agree with, with work, especially around equity. Yeah. Yeah. So along those lines, right? Mm-hmm. That sounds like you could, you could have some pretty challenging or daunting experiences when you're in this role, right? Um, so can you talk a little bit about some of those challenges you've had, um, and how you have addressed them? You know, when I, (laughs) whenever I tell someone, Christine, when they say, oh, Jocelyn, what do you do at Microsoft? When I even say, well, here are the two jobs that I hold that in and of itself is daunting to me. Right. Um, I lead diversity and inclusion for our sales force, um, roughly 70, 80,000 people around the globe, right? Helping them figure out what's important to them from a diversity and inclusion perspective. How do we drive their plan? What data and metrics do we use to drive that plan? That's job number one. Job number two is I am responsible for activating diversity and inclusion in every country that Microsoft does business. That part is immediately it, it, it's just sort of every time I say it, I'm like, oh, I can do this, right? <laughs> and the hardest part for me is I don't know on a daily basis what country or region or part of the world we're going to solve the problem for that day, right? And so I find myself leaning in super heavily to curiosity because you hear all kinds of things across the globe around that are diversity and inclusion challenges that you don't wanna immediately take a North American worldview to it. It's super easy to do that. And I will be honest, I do it internally, right? <laughs> because that, that's, my, that's my first view. But then I always start with questions just to understand why something is happening or why someone is reacting the way. And it could be anything, Christine, from it's illegal in that country. Mm-hmm. It is socially unacceptable. It is punishable by death, right, in that country. Or um, sometimes it's as simple as just it's someone's preference. But you have to sort of dig through all of that before you can even advise. And one of the things that I try to do, I never debate any individual belief of a person. When it comes to whether or not I was working for Microsoft or I'm still at Hewitt or I'm at whatever company, I always anchor back on how does this show up against our values? Hmm. If we did the thing you wanted to do, do we live our values? Because to me, that is always the thing that I want to anchor folks back on. I don't want to anchor on your personal beliefs, your religious beliefs, the how does this show up against our values? Because that that helps me sort of 
ground the conversation and takes opinion, if you will, or emotion out of it. Because we, I think we as Microsoft have done a really good job of saying, here are our values and here's what they look like when we show up at our best and not at our best. So that mm -hmm. always helps me sort of um, peel away the problems that, that, that show up. So that's interesting because I was, as you were talking, I was thinking like equity looks, might look different in different areas of the world, mm -hmm. given that they're different cultures, but also different legal structures and things like that. So how, how have you managed it with, or has this ever happened when um, kind of your goals of equity or kind of what you see your, what you want to do kind of don't necessarily align with the country? How do you reconcile that? Yeah, we, um, we had this situation um, with an individual that lived in the U.S. Um, part, this partnership, this marriage, they decided to move to another country and the benefits, the access that they had in the U.S. was, it's not that it wasn't available in this country, it wasn't available to them as a same-sex married couple. And just dealing with the sheer difference in structures that it wasn't that we as a company wouldn't provide it. It was, this country doesn't allow for that. And the way the, the, way the, corporate, the, the corporate structures are set up within that country, the amount of legal petitioning we would have had to do to the government just to offer, right? And so you have situations like that where you're like, how do we get equity and benefits? Because that continues to be a challenge, not for us, for all companies, right? Mm -hmm. Because you are, in some instances, you're bound to the laws of whatever, whatever countries you're operating in. And that one was really hard, right? There were some things that we could do, you know, as management discretion, but there were some things like we just couldn't do. And yeah. it was, it was hard because we knew that had this couple stayed in the U.S., it would have been fine, you know? So it just, you, yeah. I, we take those situations. Um, I think the benefit and what I, what I enjoy about sort of HR work as a whole is our work intersects with so many different groups, right? And in this particular instance, you know, you had the diversity and inclusion team involved. We had benefits involved. We had employee relate, like we just pulled in all these different areas of HR to make sure that all hands were on deck, everyone was doing everything they could, turning over every rock to figure out how do we make this work? And it was interesting because at one point someone said, why are we doing all of this for this one person? Mm. And my response was, well, it's right now it's for this one person, but I fully plan to post this exercise, right? Figure right. out what is our process because this will happen again? How do we make sure that we're prepared the next time this happens so that we're not sort of, you know, learning and growing and doing this, you know, while we're trying to solve for this issue. So I take all of those sort of um, daunting things that happen as a, okay, how do we set this up for the next time so that we're ready? Um, so I'm going to kind of not pivot, but I want to give the counter question to that <laughs> is, uh, what do you love about your job? 
And it might be what you just said. You might love that kind of work because I can, I can appreciate loving kind of trying to figure out the puzzle, not loving, not having those, obviously those, those, um, you know, those issues that come up, but, but the idea of, uh, you know, solving problems. Yeah. I, it is, you know, Christine, it is, it is one part of the job that I love. I love getting a, a problem that feels sticky and hairy and messy and all of those things. And literally just peeling it back one layer at a time to really get down to what's happening here. Right. Um, and I've been that way through my whole career. So I do love that part of the job, but I love the global nature of the work. So I'm never in, I'm never in any one country for very long, like mentally, right? Because depending on which one of, you know, my direct reports I'm talking to, I am transported to, and here's what's going on in France and here's what we need to work through. And oh, by the way, here's what's happening in Israel, right? And so it just, that part for me, I've learned so much just in the two years since the role has expanded to this work. So I am a, I feel like I'm a lifetime learner because I'm always trying to learn something new. And ultimately, I think had we not had a pandemic and just sort of economic headwinds that all companies are facing right now, I would probably be traveling around to all of these places too, right? And so just the fact that I'm still learning about them and helping to impact changes that I love that part. Yeah. We kind of touched on this, but I'm curious, you talk about being a lifelong learner is that in, you travel to a lot of different places, a lot of different cultures. Um, is that how you approach um, cultures that are different from your own? You know, I, um, like I said, I am a curiosity for me asking the question is always to me the best way. Right. And so it takes me back to, I did a six, nine month assignment in India some years ago. And I remember preparing to go on that trip. You know, I read the books, watched the videos, talked to people. And I had this thought like, you know, I'm going to blend right in. <laughs> that's what I thought. Um, that's what I thought. Um, and I had the best time in, in country in India the the culture the the culture the language the customs fascinating to me but i found myself in a place where i was like okay we're celebrating this festival why are we doing that hmm. and they were like okay we're celebrating good versus evil and this happened and you know they would sort of tell me all about it i'm like okay cool i know what we're doing right or you know as you as you hear people talk about customs Hey, can you tell me more about that? Why does that work that way? Right. And what I found is that when you sincerely ask the question and you're curious about something, especially from a cultural aspect, people will share with you, right? They're not going to not share what's happening. <coughs> Sorry about that. Um, I knew that was going to happen. Um, I also found myself being, when I was in, um, as I travel, I get a lot of questions, right? I think I shared with you as we were prepping, um, I met a group of students from um, when I was in India and their questions to me were just sort of fascinating. Sort of like, why are you here? Where's your husband? And do you live with your parents at home? 
<laughs> and I was like, so I'm here for work. I, at the time I wasn't married and no, I don't live with my parents. They live, you know, some, some ways away from me. You would have thought I told them like the sky was falling because they were like, wait, what? But I knew culturally how it happened, right? And what they were sort of reacting to. But I always lean in with curiosity when it comes to, you know, culture. Are you okay? Oh yeah, it'll pass. It'll <laughs> okay. Pass. You know, my um, eyes are water and then- Okay, pass. yeah, I've yeah, been there, I've been there. Um, th that idea of curiosity and, and you seem very open to experience, is that something that you've always had all your life or is this something that you've, you know, you've learned, you know, maybe from role models or other experiences that you've grown up or honed? You know, it's a good question. I actually asked my mother this question over the um, Christmas holiday. I was like, mom, was I always this adventurous, like as a kid? And she's like, she told me the story. She's like, I can remember when you were probably five or six years old, you told me I'm going to travel the world and I'm going to, I'm going to leave this place. I'm not going to live here. Now, mind you, my father was a police officer my whole life, retired 30 years. My mother was a lighting director at like a like she would go into people's homes and decide how to light the walls, right? <laughs> and here I am, this five, six-year-old saying, I'm going to travel the world. She's like, I don't know where you got it from, but you've always, you've always maintained that that's what you were going to do, right? And so it's always been there. I don't know where I got it from, but um, I had some early experiences in when I was in high school, I won a trip to Washington, D.C., like my first plane ride, Washington, D.C. I get to see how the government, like it was super cool. And at that point, I was like, OK, there's a whole world for me to see. So it's always been there. Nice. So I'm curious uh, what your experience at NIU was like, um, if there were any highlights or kind of important moments that helped maybe influence that about you or define you or, you know, how did you, how did it define you and how, how you got into HR and yeah. wanting to travel the world? NIU was the best decision I made from a, like to go to university, best decision I could have made. So um, when I started at NIU, I thought I wanted to be an accountant, sat on it. I'm going to be an accountant. I'm going to make all this money. And Christine, I remember sitting in my accounting 206 class. It was in a lecture hall and I did really well, right? Like I wasn't a bad student. I did really well. I was bored to tears. I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Like 206, 207, it was, I was like, I have to figure out something else. So it was the summer before I don't think you all still have UBiz that nine hour lecture class no we did get rid of that yeah we changed thank, thank god it was the <laughs> summer before that right it was the summer before that I went home for the summer I grew up in Waukegan Illinois so just about an hour and a half north and I was talking to a friend of mine I was like look I need a job this summer and at the time she was the HR manager at Six Flags Great America 
And I said, can you get me a job at the park? And I, this is what I said. And in hindsight, it's like, who did I think I was, right? I was like, I don't want to work outside. I don't want to be hot. I don't want to talk to families and customers. I don't want to be in food. That's <laughs> <laughs> my list of demands. <laughs> and she said to me, she goes, well, can you work in our employee resource center? I was like, yeah, what is that? She goes, well, you have to make sure that folks are compliant with park guidelines and policies. You'll issue their free park tickets based on the hours they work. You'll throw employee morale events and you'll answer any questions that they have. And I was like, yep, I can do that. But it was part of the HR department. And so that summer I learned all about the HR department the hiring, the training, the work I was doing. And I came back to NIU in the fall in UBiz and I was like, I wanna be in human resources. And at the time I researched and we, I'm sure NIU still does cause I know they still do, but this amazing group of faculty in the HR, in the management department or in the HR department. And I went to my advisor, I was like, I wanna, I wanna be in HR. And so that's when I changed my major. And then the professors that I was able to interact with were just, they were top notch, right? They were able to say, here's how it happens in the real world. I know this is what the book says. This is what actually happens. Mm. And I have, I still have moments today where something will happen and I'm like, oh, that's what, that's what so-and-so says, right? So NIU gave me a really great foundation that I've just continued to build upon. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah. So I'm I'm going to pivot a little bit to some other questions, but I also want to open it up and invite anybody um, here on the webinar. If you have questions for Jocelyn, please feel free to put them in the chat and we'll try and get to them. Um, so yeah, any questions you have. Um, I wanted to pivot to this idea back to equity. So thinking about lifelong learning, um, what do you recommend for folks who want to learn more about equity? Yeah. Um... It's a really great question. Um, the first thing I think about um, is equity for what, mm. right? So you can go and you can Bing, not Google, you can Bing equity, right? And you can figure out what it means, um, but there's so many different avenues you can go down, right? And so I guess first starting to think about what kind of equity do you want to learn more about? Is it equity in hiring, development, benefits, social structures? Like, what is it, right? <clears throat> because then you can sort of narrow your learning to that instead of trying to learn this really big thing in concept. Because once you get the concept, you can apply it to almost anything, right? So really trying to understand um, what area you want to apply that to. So along those lines, um, for folks who might be interested in, and I know you, you did not have this goal <laughs> necessarily, but you are in this position and you, you seem to love your position. Um, are there any uh, you know, tips you would give for um, students who are interested in getting into um, you know, equity and diversity and inclusion within yeah. an organization? It's a really good question. There are two schools of thought out there right now as it relates to 
diversity and inclusion and how you get into it. One school of thought says diversity and inclusion is business led. Anybody can do it. Um, you just have to be connected to the business strategy. <clears throat> the other train of thought says, if you're going to do diversity and inclusion, it should be connected to the HR systems and process as well mm -hmm. as the business. They're two very different schools of thought, right? Because what you'll end up seeing, what you'll see is a lot of folks getting into diversity roles that don't connect it back to the people rhythms or the people plan or the people strategy. Um, I think it's a flawed approach, right? Mm. I am of the mindset of, if you wanna be in diversity and inclusion within a company, it should be connected to human resources to the people strategy. So with that school of thought, one would say, you should be in a management role, you should go through, an HR background so that as you get to the role of diversity and inclusion and equity, you know how the system works, right? So here's where I'm going with that. When I think about the work that I'm doing right now, there are days where I spend looking at helping the recruiting team look at our recruiting practices as they relate to diversity and equity, or our manager effectiveness group looking at how do, we, how do we embed diversity and inclusion into manager training, manager curriculum, how managers operate? Looking at our rewards process, right? Looking at our investigative process, right? Looking at, um, you know, just how we, how, we think about, how we think about HR internally, right? And how diversity is as we've been to that. So for me, it's easier, and I use the term easier to, embed diversity into HR cycles and rhythms, because once you do that, it's really hard for a company to say, oh, we're not going to do that anymore. Mm. Right? Because if you're doing a succession plan and you're talking about diversity as part of that succession plan, it's embedded in the work. You can't say, well, we'll do the diversity succession later. What? No, you're going to do it as part of the process. Right? And so for me, and embedding it into existing systems and rhythms is really the best way. And I think knowing those systems and rhythms coming into the job has helped me tremendously. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. great. We, we are in the process of doing that here at NIU, doing that work as well. So um, very helpful. So we have some student questions that I'd like to read. Oh, um, so the first one is, um, as an HR major, how can I begin the framework of installing a more equitable environment in a company who has not implemented or may not be interested in DI initiatives? I love that um, question. Um, so I think the first thing, and it's not, it's not a super grandiose thing, right? And so maybe, maybe you're at a company where they are talking about doing, I don't know, training initiatives, right? and you are development initiatives and you wanna embed equity into it, you can simply ask the question, you know, are we, should we do any kind of assessment up front to make sure we're meeting people where they are? It's, it's a super, it's a, it's a non-threatening question, but it will absolutely get you to equity, right? Mm -hmm. 
Because if you're doing, if you're doing a development, you're doing a training and you're asking that question, you know, someone may say, oh, you know what, I need to do this before I get to the training, which meets them where they are, which starts to create equity, right? Or if it's a recruiting thing or even a, even a, um, yeah, if it's a recruiting scenario, it's about um, really focusing in on, I would say, more behavioral-based interviewing instead of saying, well, here are the questions, here are these generic things we're going to ask, really looking at and not sort of focusing on a specific, it has to be this kind of example, because people show organization and leadership in all kinds of ways, right? Mm -hmm. And so I found diversity, equity, and inclusion to sometimes simply be asking the question about why something is the way it is, or, hey, have we considered XYZ population, right? Mm. And, or how do you think this population is going to react and respond to this thing that we're doing, right? Mm. I don't know if I answered the question, but that's sort of how I think about it, not having the specifics on what, what they're implementing. No, I think that's, you did answer the question. I just a follow-up to, um, is, are there outside resources to turn to, to help with this, to, to kind of, you know, use this, uh, just as a reference to kind of guide. I mean, I know what you're talking about is it's going yeah. to depend on the company to some extent to ask those questions and see where people are, but are there some outside resources that you can, you know? Um, I can't think of one right now off the top of my head, but I will spend some time thinking about it. Um, but what I will say is one of the things you can do if you're trying to simply connect diversity, equity, and inclusion into any company's work, I would maybe just do some, what's their strategy as a company? What are their values as a company? Do they have principles as a company, right? And see what they are and see if you could connect diversity, equity, and inclusion to those values, to those principles, right? Because then you're connecting it, some, you're connecting it to something that already exists. Right. And so here's an example. <laughs> a lot of companies have respect as a as a value. They have respect or they have collaboration, one of those two, or some version of that. Right. So that speaks directly to diversity and inclusion. Because if you're truly collaborating, all voices are heard. You're taking voices and concerns that are different from yours into account when making decisions, right? So being able to connect it back to, oh, well, here's how this value could show up from a diversity and inclusion perspective can connect it to a company that may not overtly be interested. Mm. Interesting. That's great advice. Yeah. Um, so another question is, um, you know, and this is this person says, thank you for sharing your wisdom. How do you incorporate metrics around DEI while avoiding them being simply performative, a performative check of boxes? Um, I think that's a great question. So yeah. every month, um, every month, at least at Microsoft, we, we share with our leaders how they're doing from a representation perspective. What's interesting about it is Sometimes the numbers don't change greatly month over month. And that to some extent does feel like a check the box for people. Because mm -hmm. all you're doing is saying, well, you went from 
this percent to that percent. What I've done with that data is I look at it and say, okay, you're hiring, you've hired a thousand women this month, but 950 of them transitioned to another group and then another 300 of them left the company. So you're making negative progress against growing women representation. So it's about being able to take all the different data elements and tell a story with that data, right? And in that example I just gave, like, it's not so, like, they don't have a recruiting problem, right? Most, most companies, when they think about diversity and inclusion, they immediately pivot to, we just need to hire more. Maybe, right? But in that example that I just gave with the hiring thousand women, 950 of them have transferred and another 300 left, you might have a career development, a promotion, a future opportunity problem, especially if that many women on a monthly basis are moving to a new group. Why are they moving? You know, and so really digging into more of just the metrics, right? And then the people who are leaving, are they people we wanted to leave, right? Or are there people that we wanted that we wanted to keep? And what retention activities are we doing? Mm. And so it's really about what I love about data is you can really, you can use a, a number of metrics to tell a super powerful story for a leadership team around either what's happening or drive them to what they should be doing, right? One of the things that we recently did, um, like many tech companies, we're just not hiring that much right now, um, but we want to retain the talent that we do have, right? And so we're going at it two ways. One, um, managers are having what we're calling stay conversations, which are more career development conversations with people about what they're doing, what their next role is how we can help them from a development perspective. But then me, I'm also going to, how many managers are actually having one-on-ones with people, right? Because you can do this sort of broad systemic stay conversation motion, but what are the basic hygiene things that need to be done, right? And we're using data to inform that, right? We've actually um, been able to pull out through some of our tools what percentage of managers are having one-on-ones monthly. Mm-hmm. So based on that, we can say, okay, this is what we think we should be doing, putting recommendations out there. And then you use the metric to track the progress, right? And so metrics are, metrics are your friend, everyone yeah. on the phone, be super comfortable with metrics, reading data, understanding how they can or can't inform the work you're doing because they can really tell a powerful story. Yeah. You know, when you were talking, I just, it, it occurred to me um, that it sounds like you've made quite a bit of progress at Microsoft when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion. Are you, okay, so <laughs> have you made progress? Are you comfortable with that? And, and are you comfortable with the speed that you're going as um, far as making that progress? I'm never comfortable with the speed, Christine. Okay. <laughs> Although other people will look and say, you're doing really good we're not personally comfortable with the speed. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, so yes, we've made progress, right? When I look at where we were 
six years ago and where we are today, we're making good progress. Can we do more? Absolutely, right? Should we be doing more? Yes, right? But if we continue to, we're continuing to try to ensure that it's embedded in the rhythms, right? And that the rhythms are sustainable because they're part of the rhythms, not based on the person. And that's mm -hmm. always hard, right? right? And so it is that, it's that element of driving systemic change, right? And so when you drive something systemically, they don't need Jocelyn to show up to get it done because it's part of the process. It's part of what they do. It should just happen. And those are things that I think across the board, we're still trying to make sure are embedded. We're making progress. We're just never, okay. we're never satisfied. You're hopeful, but not satisfied yet. Hopeful? hopeful. Okay. Hopeful. <laughs> no, we're absolutely hopeful, but yeah. you know, you're always yeah. harder on yourself than mm. people are on you. And we're hard on ourselves because we're like, we should be doing more. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've got another question. This is a great question. What are some practices that anyone can do to check their biases? <laughs> so <laughs> here's what I do. Whenever something happens culturally, that's different than what I'm used to. And it's super hard for me and I don't do it greatly. I try not to immediately react to it. Hmm verbally, facially, nothing. My face will tell you a thousand things every day, right? I try to sort of check like, hmm, Jocelyn, what's that reaction you're having, right? I try to personally check myself on it to say, and I, I will ask myself a set of questions and they're not perfect, which is why did you have that strong reaction to what happened? Do you understand what happened, right? And how much time do you have to, to check it, right? So those are my internal questions. How it presents outwardly is when someone does something or says something that gets a reaction from me, my external response is, tell me more about that. Mm. It's, it's non-threatening. It's just a, tell me more about what you mean, because it gives me a chance to calm down. Mm. Right. It gives me a chance to settle, make sure I heard what I thought I heard. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it also gives the person a chance to tell me more about what they said. You know, so it's not it's not perfect, but I go through a series of just sort of personal internal checks. And then I always ask the person to tell me more about what they're saying. So it sounds like curiosity kind of kicks in your which seems like it's your superpower, by the way, <laughs> you know, it is, you know what, if you, if you can, if anyone can learn to lean into it with, um, with care, right. Mm -hmm. Leaning into curiosity with care, it, it gets you a long way, right. What I found is um, when you sincerely ask the question, most people will tell you why something is the way it is. Mm. Yeah. So I'm going to ask another question, and I know we didn't talk about this before, but I'm curious what your okay. answer is. Um, re re related to that, um, or any situation, um, how do you use or do you use empathy in, in kind of your approach? And, and is it related to the curiosity? I mean, how does it kind of show up in your life and, and help in your job, or does it? No, it, it absolutely does, right? Um, empathy is one that 
there's the there's the difference, right? And I feel like I'm always talking about the difference, right? The difference between having sympathy for someone and empathy for them, right? And so empathy to me is trying to put yourself in someone's shoes, right? To really understand what they're going through. And sometimes you can do that and sometimes you can't, right? right. Um, but at minimum, trying to understand it instead of just sort of immediately defaulting to pity or sorrow or whatever the emotion is, really trying to understand, like, let, let me put myself right where you are. What can we do together to fix this? Right. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it's absolutely um, sort of front of mind for any diversity and inclusion professional as they do this work. Mm. It should be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious too. I'm going to, I'm going to pivot a little bit because I don't really see more questions right now. Um, I just was thinking like, who do you go to for advice or perspectives? Like, do you have people in your life or do you have certain, you know, authors or artists that really give you inspiration, um, maybe directly related to your work or just that help you, you know, just with new perspectives and, and, um, <laughs> It's a great question. One of the things I've always had, Christine, and it it changes, right? It changes over the years. Yeah. And I've heard, I know people have heard this before. I have a personal board of directors, right? Mm. I absolutely do, right? There are anywhere between four or five people, maybe six sometimes on my board of directors, right? I have someone in my field that I highly respect. Because they're the person I'm going to go to when I'm having issues and challenges with diversity, equity, and inclusion, and we can just ping pong off of each other, right? There's someone that I want to be like when I grow up, right? There's that person I aspire to be like, right? There's the cheerleader because we always need someone that when we have our days that are going to be like, listen, you're doing good work. You stay the course. Like you need that. Mm -hmm. um, I have a networker. I have a friend who literally knows everyone in the world. He literally knows everyone in the world. So if there's a connection I need to make, I call him up. I'm like, hey, who do you know that works here? I'm trying to make a connection. And sure enough, through some degrees of separation, we figure it out, right? And then I have a truth teller. Mm. I have someone that you know, you have that conversation like, okay, tell me if I'm wrong. This is what happened, right? Right. Or yeah. what, how do you feel about this situation? Like, and it's interesting because over the years, as I've changed, as, you know, my skills have changed, the people on that board have changed for me, right? Some people continue to remain the same, but there are others that just sort of morph and change and it grows, Right. And I've, I've always been one where when I need help, I'm going to go ask for it. Yeah. You know, I'm going to say, hey, I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? Right. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. When I first. So when I started my career, I was in recruiting for about five and a half years. And then I moved into an HR business partner role. And I had always wanted to be an HR business partner. My very first meeting, Christine as an HR business partner, I'm so excited. I'm going to meet the head of real estate because that was one of my customers. I had general counsel and I had real estate. 
I go meet with the real estate leader and we're talking and he says, um, I think I want to lay some people off. Hmm. And I was, I was internally mm. panicked. I was absolutely mm. panicked. And I was like, okay. I defaulted back to, I was a recruiter. I can get the truth out of anybody. Right. And so I was like, so tell me why, why do you want to do it? What's going to happen to the work? Like, when do you want to do this? Like, I just started asking questions. And then at the end of that, I remember saying to him, Jim, I've never done this before. I actually don't know how to do this, but I'm going to go figure it out. And then I'm going to come back to you with a plan. Yeah. And then I remember I drove back to my office because they were in a different building. And I told my boss, I was like, this is what happened. And she was like, okay, here's the resource here. Read this. And I read it. And then I applied what I learned to our situation. Right. And so I share that to say, like, don't, don't be afraid to not know. Yeah. It's okay if you don't know, but when you don't know, own it and go figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. I think. And yeah. And, and not ask for help too. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we have another question. Um, how can someone working in business be a good DEI advocate? That's a great question. Yeah. Um, thank you for that, um, Melissa. Um, I, I would say when you see opportunities to ask the question or to role model the behavior, you're role modeling it. So for example, if you all are talking about the list of promotions and everyone you're promoting, it's all men being brave enough to say, I don't see any women on the list, right? Or, you know, what are we doing to develop more women to increase our pipeline? That, even though it's small, and I want to sort of get across like being an advocate, driving for DNI is not some it's not huge, right? Sometimes there's small things that you can do every day, but that's a good way to advocate, right? Because then I guarantee once you would ask that question in that situation, everyone's going to be like, yeah, where are the, I was thinking mm -hmm. that too. But what I found is sometimes people aren't brave enough to ask the question, right? Or role modeling through, if you have a team of people, um, is your, is your team diverse? Do you have inclusive practices as a team, right? Role modeling that for other managers where they do maybe look at you or your team and how you operate and say, that team's super inclusive, right? They're all different, but look at the work they do. Look at the performance that they have, just being an example that way. Mm. I do love the, the way you approach it with questions. A lot of what you approach is really- Yes. It's really fascinating and interesting. Um, okay, so I think we don't have any more questions. I just, I wanna ask, um, I'm fascinated by this uh, board of directors you have. I assume it's probably one of the things that has helped contribute to your success. Um, and I wonder if there are other things that, that you think um, really, you know, two or three, or you could do more too, that's fine. <laughs> uh, but what, what's helped you be successful? Um, so, one NIU, I said that before, but like seriously, um, I, it is, it is given me the foundation for 
the work that I've done, right? Whether or not it was the undergrad degree or the the MBA, it set such a such a strong foundation for me to grow on. So that was one. But the second, you know, when I think about this, I had a manager early in my career. She was my manager, literally, Christine, for about eight years. Mm-hmm. It was interesting because I reported to her, she would get promoted, then I would get her, like literally she was my manager through a couple of different roles. But she had a really interesting take on how she managed, which helped me grow and build confidence. So she used to take this approach like, Jocelyn, make the decision with the information you have today. Make the best decision with the information you have today. And I would, you know, I was like, I I can't do that. What if I'm wrong? What if it's the wrong decision? She's like, but if you're making the best decision with the information you have, it will be okay. She's like, and if you make the wrong decision, it's still okay. We can go back, we can clean it up. We can understand what information we should have asked for that we didn't, and then we'll keep going. And she said something, she's like, you know, she's like, this is, this is HR work. She was like, no one's going to the, well, they shouldn't be going to the emergency room or anything like that. She was like, these are, this is HR work, right? And so own and acknowledge, like, so she sort of empowered me to not take risks, but take chances Mm -hmm. and trust myself, right? To make those decisions. And I've carried that with me. And I find myself applying that to my team today, right? Which it's super uncomfortable because no one wants to make a mistake, right? But when you know you have support, you have a manager that will back you up and advocate for you, it empowers you to start to be more comfortable making decisions. I think um, that's contributed to my success. I actually still reach out to her on boss's day every year and say, hey, you were the best. Mm. Because her the just sort of that, you know, that thing that she would do with me just really helped me grow as an individual. And then I had, I and lastly, I had supportive family, right? Yeah. Through the years that allowed me to go and live in another country for months on end or do other things to support me. They were always there. So those were, those are sort of the three things that I think about really contributed to my success over the years. Mm, That's awesome. Okay. So I'm going to ask this question because I thought it might come up with the students, but maybe, maybe they don't want to know it, but I think they want to know it. What do you look for in new hires? It, you know what, the number one thing I look for, and it's going to, you're, everyone's going to be like, really, Jocelyn? I look for people that can think on their own. Mm. And you think, really, Jocelyn, that's it? You would be surprised how many people cannot take a set of information and circumstances and come back with a recommendation on what they want to do. There's so many people today that want to be always told what to do. And for me, I want people, I want critical thinkers. I want people that can say, you know what, here are all the things happening. This like, here's what we here, here's the recommendation, or here are two or three options that I recommend us doing. I find it, um, not everyone can do that, right? Because I feel like if you're a critical thinker and you can 
sort of look across because in this role, there are a thousand factors going on all the time with the work we're doing. And it's if you set yourself up as a manager to always be the one telling people what to do, folks are never going to grow and develop, right? And do that. So you at least want that, that baseline trait in folks so that you can build upon it. Does so, yeah, no, yeah, along those lines, was, were there experiences at NIU that you, you had, whether in classes or outside of classes, that help you um, kind of hone your critical thinking skills or that idea of um, yeah. maybe even that confidence in, in being able to take it and, and think about it on your own? And there, are two, there are two things that, I, that immediately come to mind for me. Um, there, and I'm sure there still is, um, there was an employment law class in the management department. Yeah. And the, my professor was um, Kurt Barings. I don't even know if he's still around these days. He isn't. I, I, over, I crossed over him with one year. We had our offices yeah. next to each other, yeah. So Kurt was my professor and he used to have us do this like, not a, like almost like a mock trial thing. Mm -hmm. He'd make us read these employment law cases and we'd have to come in and discuss and debate them. That helps me because you have all this information, right? And how do you take all of these things and sort of distill it down to, well, there's this issue and there's that issue. That helped me greatly, mm -hmm. right? Just having that real time and having someone that did it in real life, but then decided to take all that knowledge and apply it in the classroom. That was super helpful. Another experience I had, I, and I don't know how I end up doing this. I sat on, I was on the judiciary board for NIU. Oh. So when, wow. <laughs> when student, and I don't, and to this day, like I have no idea how I got on this. It was like a student run board where when people would get written up in the dorms or they would have infractions, they would come before the judiciary board and they would plead their case in front of a group of their peers and we would with um, Larry Bowles, I think his name mm -hmm. was. I know him too. He's retired yeah. though. Yeah, we used great. to sit. He sat on the board with us, and we would discuss and debate it. And then we would come back with recommendations that impacted these students' lives, mm -hmm. right? And again, it was another situation where you have all these factors. Sometimes we'd have witnesses come in. Sometimes they would submit stuff that you almost had to read and decipher through mm. really looking at what's the question we're trying to answer and sort of setting aside the emotion or even our personal judgment on what happened. That was um, incredibly helpful just in sort of honing that, that skill for me. Yeah. And yeah, then that's... I had parents that were always like, you know, be clear in what you want. <laughs> so, yeah. right. <laughs> it helps out that yeah. too. Yeah. No, that's great. That's, um, that's great to know. I think getting that experiential learning, I think with this kind of the buzzword right now, right? But getting that learning where it's it's the messy real world and you're putting in a position where, you know, you, you have to do the research and then you make the decision and there's not this clear cut answer yeah. um, is a important part of that process. So very few things have clear cut answers in diversity oh, and yeah. inclusion and equity. Very, yeah. very few things have a very pretty answer to it. So. How, you know, I was thinking about that. How do you know when you've done enough research? I know that I don't, 
that may be a tricky question, but you know, do you have a process where you're like, because I feel, I mean, I'm a researcher by nature. Sometimes I feel like, oh, I haven't done enough. I haven't done, yeah. do you have a process that says, okay, now I'm going to work with what I have? That's a great question. A lot of it depends, Christine, on how urgent the issue is mm. and how much time you have to come back with an answer, right? Um, so it depends, right? Sometimes you have time to do formal research and all. Sometimes you're like, okay, what happened? And you ask a series of questions to a number of people. And then you say, okay, here's the information we have. Let's make, like, there's no time frame. There's no set, um, there's no set process you go through. It's actually a skill that I learned um, in one of my previous companies, I used to run investigations all the time, right? Investigating wrongdoing, if you will. And it's just sort of spider web on mm. what are you alleging? Who was there? Who did, who, who was the accused? And then you talk to all the people, you look at the policies, like you just sort of, and so I find myself using that today, right? So what happened, what was said, who was there? just to sort of get to, this is what we know, right? And then making the decision. Mm. Yeah. Oh, good. We have another question. Um, so as someone who has recently, no, who, sorry. As someone who has some trouble putting themselves out there and bearing themselves to the world, I totally identify with that. Um, what kinds of experiences can I expose myself to, to become a more critically thinking HR professional? Yeah. And I feel as if I never have enough experience to have a generally educated opinion on topics. That's a great question. I think a lot of us feel that way. Yeah. So, um, so Johnny, here's what I'm going to say. No one knows what you're supposed to say. right? So part of it is a confidence in how you say it, right? Um, what I have found is, um, and I find this more with, um, with women, they caveat the things that they say. Mm. Well, you know, I'm a student and I think, well, I think we should do this. Well, I don't have a lot of experience, but I think, cut, cut, cut that out. Just say, this is what we should do. But like, and so part of it is a confidence that I want you to personally build in yourself, right? But then when you think of the things you can expose yourself to, um, I, when, when I was at NIU, I was also part of SHRM. I was part of the Management Student Advisory Board. And just getting exposure with, one, building that confidence around my peers, right? Sherm used to bring in a lot of speakers that we could interact with as well. So that was always helpful. Um, but for, for me, I think the, the biggest thing that I'd want you to do is um, believe in yourself and the things that you are saying, right? Because that's the first thing people, people see is how confident are you in what you're saying, yeah. right? Um, I don't know if that helped you. Um, one of the things when I, when Christine was reading your question, I thought about when I was, and when I tell this story, people are, sometimes people are horrified. When I was a kid, I was probably 
eight years old. Um, we used to go to church every Sunday. We still go to church every Sunday, but whatever. Um, we used to read between Sunday school and actual church service. Someone had to read the minutes. So you would get up in front of the whole congregation and you would read like, this is this many people went to the primary class. This was their lesson. I used to do that. My little eight-year-old self would get up in front of the whole church with my book and I would read through the minutes. And for me, it helped me build confidence in the fact that I'm eight years old. I'm standing up in front of all of these adults. I am reading and I might get it wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And so granted, none of us can go back to our eight-year-old selves, right? But in that, what I would say is, be confident in the things that you're saying and trust that you, you have the education. You can, you can rely on that. And as you learn, I would lean into asking questions around what happened to say, based on what I've heard, here's what I think we should do. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. And, and then be willing if, if you make a mistake, then yeah, that's and okay too. To, be willing to ask others like, hey, well, what do you think we should do? Yeah. Here's what I've heard based on this. Should We should do this. But what experiences have you had that would cause us to do something different? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Now, you mentioned SHRM. So I want to bring up the SHRM event. You have a SHRM event coming up. Yeah. Um, correct. On the 21st of April. Okay. Um, I think it's around, and they're going to be mad because I don't remember the topic offhand, having a seat at the table or bringing, creating a seat at the table or something like that. Okay. Well, so just yeah. to, to anyone interested that I'm sure that'll come out in an email or on the um, management newsletter too. So just be looking out for that. Oh, good. Um, Johnny said I was right. She's the Sherman. Oh, nice. Excellent. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So um, there's a couple more questions here. Yeah. As a management major, I always want to build my up up my peers, get them out of their shells and to be more confident. What are some ways I can encourage my fellow classmates to help build these things in them? Oh, love that question. Hmm. Um, you can... Um... So here's something you can do. They, they may hate you for it, Megan, but this is, you could do this, right? When you're in class and you all are talking about, um, maybe you're having a discussion in class and you all are talking about it. As you give your opinion, you can say, you know what? I was talking with Jocelyn the other day and we had a really good conversation about this. Jocelyn, share with the class what we talked about. You sort of put them on the spot, but it's a soft pitch to them, right? because they know like you sort of set the tone and then you can pull back to some maybe conversations you've had to give them the floor to say something. They may not like you for it, but that's a way to do it. Yeah. I use a similar technique in my class too, because yeah. it's important. I mean, as if you're my student, you know, it's important. I appreciate, you know, um, how difficult it is for some people, but we want to hear from everybody because yeah. you do have a voice and it matters. So. And sometimes. I think we also have to recognize that just because someone is speaking up all the time, it doesn't mean that the person who's not doesn't have something to say. Right. People process information different. They learn differently. They process differently. And sometimes some people just need to listen to the conversation 
and then they may have an opinion after class is right. over. That's right. right. And so just sort of recognizing that as well. Yeah. Great point. Great point. Um, so here's another question. As an HR major entering the workforce this spring, what are some initial HR roles, industries, and or company sizes you recommend? So this is from Jada. I mentored Jada last semester. Okay. <laughs> I think she's fantastic. Just so everyone knows. I think Jada's fantastic. Um, so it, it's a great question. I always think there are some entry points into HR, right? But you, <coughs> you don't just have to go to those. I think recruiting is a super easy way to get into HR. Um, some kind of like junior HR generalist kind of role is an easy way to get into HR. Um, but I wouldn't really say there are companies or industries or sizes I would recommend. You figured if you just know that if it's a smaller company, you may find yourself being everything to everyone, right? Opposed to larger companies where they may have a training department, they may have a recruiting department, they may have a bit more structure to the work, which it gives you more opportunity to formally grow into other roles, where smaller companies, you may just be doing all that stuff day one, right? Um, <coughs> sorry, I, um, when I started my career, um, like Christine said in the bio, I was a recruiting coordinator. I had done four years at NIU and I joined Hewitt Associates as a recruiting coordinator. And what that was, is it was a super fancy title for, I supported our university relations team. So I would send brochures to campus applications. I would um, process the resumes when they got back from career fairs. I would call students and invite them to interview with us. <coughs> Excuse me. So <clears throat> it was very administrative, but it gave me a good foundation for what recruiting looked like and what campus recruiting looked like. Mm. And so it was a bigger company, but um, I don't know that there's an industry I would say to stay away from. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Are there any other questions? Any, anything anybody else wants to know? We have Jocelyn for a few more minutes, so. Thank you for that pause so I could call. I know, <laughs> yeah, well, I know. Thank you. I'm just really feeling for you now because I've been there. It's better, yeah. like this is so much I know, better. I yeah. know, but yes, but it's still, still, yeah. yeah. Well, um, I guess I'll just end with the question that I always love to end on, okay. um, which is, uh, and I know it may probably sounds cliche, but I just love it. Um, if you could give your younger self, your NIU self, um, a few pieces of advice, um, what would that be? Um, <laughs> I would tell NIU Jocelyn that she's going to be okay. She's going to be more than okay, right? I would also tell myself that I should be braver than what I was. So, um, Super, not early in my career, probably it's maybe eight years into my career. Um, I had a company 
um, I was at Hewitt Associates and they kept asking me to do a three-year international assignment. And I was like, no, 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 I can't leave. I can't leave the country for three years. I can't do it. And I kept saying no, kept saying no. And I ultimately did it for like, you know, six-ish, nine months or so. But in hindsight, like, I wish I could tell my younger self, like, go do that thing. Yeah. Go do it. Go all in. Everything will be okay. Right. But you just, I just didn't know at the time. And I was, I was just scared. Yeah. Right. And so um, I would tell myself to be braver than I was. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good advice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if there are no more questions, which I think there aren't, I just want to thank Jocelyn so much. I had such a good time. I thank know. You. So I'm going to clap. I know you're going to, if you want to uh, send your thanks through the, the chat, really, I had such a lovely time chatting with you. Appreciate your taking the time. And um, yes, again, she'll be back with the Sherma vet. So if you want more Jocelyn, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, then show up for that too in a month, in a month now. Yeah, in April. So. Anyway, Russ? Dr. Mooney, you did awesome as well. Thank <laughs> you so much, Jocelyn. This was a, a true joy. I, I know everyone really enjoyed it and I enjoyed it listening. So thank you both for being here. Um, it was a true pleasure. And for all of you who joined us tonight, thank you. Uh, we will be doing more of these events uh, over the semester. So make sure to keep an eye out on your email for more Wednesday night wisdom information and other information regarding all Jocelyn things at NIU. I know those will be coming your way through email. So make sure to take advantage of those events because because it's really nice to have some some awesome opportunities like this good to see you jocelyn you too thank you so much thank you we'll see you bye, -bye. bye. thanks everyone bye and thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of the gateway brought to you by niu's college of business please make sure to subscribe to the gateway you can find us on spotify apple podcasts or wherever podcasts are found. And if you are so inclined, please feel free to give us those five-star ratings, which help allow us to continue to bring wonderful guests to the gateway. Thank you all for listening. And remember to love always the promise of tomorrow today.